0: Welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 150 for Saturday, the 27th of April, 2019. And coming up this week, The Secret Bunker has been submitted to BookBub for the 14th time, but did it get accepted? I had hoped to start writing my next psychological thriller on Thursday. I'll reveal if I cut the first turf this week, why I took a day trip for writing inspiration, and I found a unique way to get me out of a bookshop in record time. I'll tell you that story later on. And as it's the 150th episode of these diary episodes, this is going to be a special show today. I'm going to be sharing my indie author positives, negatives and aspirations and that'll be coming up at the end of this week's diary updates. But first to this week's word count did I start the new book or didn't I? Well, two weeks ago I said to you that I was going to start writing and I wanted it to be a thriller psychological thriller trilogy. Last week I just was not being able, I wasn't able to grasp the story I couldn't get a story for a trilogy. And I warned you that I didn't think I was going to make it this week. But I can reveal that I have started writing and I am 10,000 words in. So on Thursday, I wrote 5,237 words of my new psychological thriller. And I've just finished the last 10 minutes writing 5,060 words. So we're at about uh, 10,200 or so words of a brand new book at the moment. So basically, I had this idea... And by the way, I'm calling it uh, Left for Dead. I'll talk to you about that in a moment or two. I started it and I got a very strong idea for a story, but this story was not going to be a trilogy. When I write a trilogy, and if you think how many have I written now, I've written three trilogies now. I've got quite a strong sense, I think, of, of what is enough story for a trilogy. You can't just apply a trilogy to any story. And my rule of thumb when I write trilogies is is that I have to be able to move the action of each book on substantially it can't just be effectively taking a long book and splitting it into three it has to have three very different arcs three very different story rises to a crescendo if you want and I, I, I like it generally to have just three very different uh, parts so it doesn't just feel like it's more of the same Now, this story is not suitable for a trilogy, but this was the story that was getting my enthusiasm. This is a standalone. There's no way I would make this into a trilogy. I know what the story is. I know what the arc of the story is, um, and it it isn't a trilogy. Uh, There are only certain stories I think that would make trilogies, and this isn't one of them. So I had wanted to write a psychological thriller trilogy, as I'd said to you before, What I wanted to do was replicate what I'd done with Don't Tell Meg. It's my best-selling series of books, and I just wanted to do a rinse and repeat on that. Um, So basically, the decision I had was I got a single standalone story that I'm ready to write. I've got the idea it's fully formed in my head. I know where I'm going with it. I know the settings and everything like that. Am I going to start writing that? Or am I going to stick slavishly to the to the trilogy? Um, and, and what I just decided over the week was, look, I got this story. I want to start writing. I don't want to sit here scratching my head for three weeks while I come up with a, another trilogy. And what I decided to do is I just I wanted to start writing today. I wanted to hit the deadline. I wanted to hit the targets. So I'm going to write this standalone, even though it's another standalone, um, because I, I want to be writing. I don't want to be thinking. And I will be thinking as I go along about the next trilogy. But I've still got time. Uh, if you think about my my cutoff date for everything at the moment is, is end of March 2020, which is my 55th year. And I said to you that in my targets... I want to have 20 books written by the time I'm 55 at the end of March, 2020. Well, I'm easily going to have that done. I'm probably going to have that done in between now and summer. Um, This book will take me a couple of weeks to write. Uh, I'm writing this to 90,000 words. Though I reserve the right with this one to pin this back to 75,000 words. I'm I'm writing to 90,000, but I I may, if I feel that I'm stretching it, I'll take it down to seventy-five. Um, to finish it faster, uh, but I am when I've set out. I'm I'm trying for for ninety with this, so I think it'll get there. Um, bearing in mind how the writing's gone today, I'd sketched out notes for each scene, and I haven't got to anywhere near the points that I was supposed to have written today because I, I've been writing other things. So I, I've got many plot points up my sleeve. And I had thought when I started to sketch out the story, this is going to be shorter rather than longer. But now I've started writing it. I'm thinking, actually, this is fine. It's got loads of fuel. This will be, I'm pretty sure this will be a 90,000 word. But let me just reserve judgment on that one for a little bit longer until I'm a little bit deeper into the story. So why did I use Left for Dead as the title? Now, those of you with very, very good memories and who are extremely attentive to this diary will know that Left for Dead was the working title of a book that I've been itching to write for some time. I told you that in my BBC experience as a journalist, I did this marvellous project, which was talking to people um, who had lost family members. They'd just gone missing and they, they hadn't found a body. So as far as they knew, they were still missing. And I did this years ago, and it was something that made a huge impression upon me, and it's something that I want to use as a story vehicle at some point, but I haven't quite found that story because it's it's quite special to me, and it's, it's quite uh, it's a unique issue that the people I spoke to, I found, I found it fascinating, and it's obviously had an effect on me so many years later, but I want to get it right. So although I've got, I've pretty well got a story sketch for it, it's not quite right yet, so it's in my ideas pile. Um, but the, that was going to be called Left for Dead, that story. But in actual fact, I had another title for this. I can't remember what my working title for this book was. And then I thought, actually, this is a different kind of Left for Dead. This, this title will also suit the story I'm writing right now. So it's nothing about people going missing or anything like that. But there is obviously an element where somebody's Left for Dead. And I just thought, I'm going to use that title. I'll steal that and come up when I do this other book that I'm itching to write at some point in my life. Um, I'll come up with a different title for that. So um, it's going to be called Left for Dead, this book. It's a perfect title for it. There's no point me coming up with anything else. It, is, it does what it says on the tin. Um, that's the whole sort of scenario. And it is based upon the holiday camp. I'll talk to you more about that in a moment or two. Um, the, the holiday camp at which my wife and I were based when we were young students, when we'd, uh, I think we'd been together about probably six months, just over six months, we are desperate not to um, have to separate over the summer holidays, and I had an overdraft, so that's where we went to work um, over summer. And um, the you know the writing's just been going uh, really well. This this world, this holiday camp, this environment is just so uh, real to me in my memory. There's so much there to go at that when I sat down to write yesterday, couldn't believe how fast I'd written. When I was writing the military sci-fi, uh, you'll probably remember me saying to you that I I was writing slower. I thought, and I'd put that down to not having written something for a while. Um, I as you know, my wife leaves for work about quarter to 10. I pretty well say, cheerio, go straight to my study, sit down and write. Now, this week, for the last two days, my writing has been done. I started at quarter to 10. I finished at one, and I've done 5,000 words each day. So I've been writing really fast um, for the last two days. Whereas when I was writing the military sci-fi, I was sometimes finishing my writing past uh, two o'clock maybe as late as 2.15, 2.30. So the the writing was much slower with the military sci-fi. This story, particularly for the first day of writing on a new story, uh, very exceptional for me to just sit down and bang out 5,200 odd words, but it's coming very, very easily. And I guess it's because I'm so familiar with the location and with everything that's going on in this book, it's really just, I guess, a lot of it's rooted in, in so much of it's rooted in my own experience. It's flowing very, very well, better than I would normally hope for at 10,000 words into a story. So I'm, I'm very happy with it. I always feel quite ecstatic about that because I always get jittery. I always get nervous at the beginning of a new book. It's what I call the fly or die period. Is it, gonna, is it just going to limp out the traps and die, or is it going to be a runner? I know this one's going to be a runner already because I got so much. I've set up so much about it already. I, I know I can make this one work, so I'm feeling very pleased about that. To have those ten thousand words done, I'll write another five thousand words on Sunday, which will bring me to fifteen thousand this week. And by the time I speak to you next week, all things being equal, if nothing interrupts it at all, I should be up to twenty-five thousand words by the time I speak to you next week, which feels extremely good, especially when I was having a little panic. Now, as for the trilogy that I want to write, so I've got plenty of time to write that um, because I plan to write this 90,000-worder. I am planning to write, is it another 90,000-worder before the summer holidays? If I can get two in, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, if I, I, I can get two 90,000-worders in before 20 books to 50K, I then won't write over the summer holidays while the family are home. And at the moment, again, you know, all of this is subject to change, as you know, because life sometimes gets gets in the way. But I, I, I can then easily write another 90,000 worder up to Christmas and another 90,000 worder by March 2020, which will give me the total number of books. Then, when it will be 19, 20, 20, 22 books, that'll be uh, by my 55th birthday. So that, that way exceeds my target. But it means I can get this standalone done plus. Uh, another trilogy if that's if that's what I stick to I can have that trilogy done by the end of March 2020 so the trilogy plan hasn't been thrown out the window yet I just need to come up with a suitable vehicle for it but um, as I say I because I I really haven't got a trilogy I have I've got lots of standalones in my head but I haven't got something that's going to make a trilogy So it just felt more sensible to me, much as I've said to you, I've probably written too many standalones and I'm not doing a very good job selling the standalones. I just thought I would rather be writing and producing something than sitting there scratching my head and that's the decision I made. Another standalone isn't going to hurt me. Uh, You know, if it doesn't sell very many, so be it. But as you know, I am going to try and crack this problem by doing the rapid re-release later on in the year. So frankly, it's another book that I can stick into the rapid re-release list. I think that gives me nine thrillers uh, in all at that point. Uh, plus, if I do the trilogy later, but the, if I do those nine trilo- tr- those nine thrillers once every twenty eight days, once every three weeks, something like that, then the the new trilogy that I write will be ready to pop at the end of it. So, you know, I got a lot of things, as you know, that I'm shuffling around, just trying to make everything work. Um, it's certainly not going to do me any harm to have another standalone. Um, I need to learn to to sell the blasted things. I, I keep referring you back to Adam Croft who sells more standalones than he does series. So it's clearly something I'm doing rather than the fact that I've written standalones. I just clearly need to market them better. Um, so I will have another standalone. I do like the story. I think it's a good little story. Um, I've got the confidence even this early on to know exactly where it's going, who did what. I, I've got all the kind of dead ends and the. I've got a nice uh, crescendo in the middle of the book, a nice twist in the middle of the book as well as one at the end. So it's all it's all feeling good at this early stage. Uh, Hopefully, I will be as confident and happy when I speak to you about it next week. But I'm feeling very pleased to have done over 10,000 words this week so far. So in general writing news this week, we headed to Morecambe on Sunday. And Morecambe, of course, is the seaside town in which my brand new book is based. So I kind of had this idea about going back to a holiday camp that my wife and I used to work in when we were students and this is way back in 1984 this is at the end of my first year as a student in Lancaster and I was broke uh, my dad didn't or wasn't able to make up my full grant so I was always strapped for cash and uh, so I had to go and pay off my overdraft which was a hilarious overdraft nowadays if you look at student debt it was about I think it was about 250 pounds something like that that I'd run up over a year and if you, if you compare that to present student debt they just laugh uh, it's a night out in the town, 250 pounds nowadays. But in those days, it was a lot of money. So it took me, well, it was originally going to take me 12 weeks to earn it off, but we only did an eight week stint at Pondins because we hated it so much. But uh, we went to this holiday camp uh, near Morecambe, uh, near Hesham actually, and there's a nuclear power station at Hesham and it was a Pontins holiday camp and it was one of those experiences that made a really big impact on me and I didn't particularly like it at the time but actually it was a brilliant life experience I'd never been to a holiday camp like that Uh, we never went on holiday could never afford to as kids so it was just an amazing experience of it was a side of life that I'd never seen before it was my first I guess proper job working with a broad range of people from all around the country and of course, we met lots of holidaymakers there. And so so it was just a brilliant life experience. And we used to work there six days a week and your day was split up. You used to have to be up about six o'clock in the morning and then you'd do breakfasts from something like seven till nine. And then you'd be doing lunches, something like 11.30 till two. And then you'd have to be back um, something like 4.30 till seven. So your day was very split. You couldn't do anything. And you did that six days a week. And then you'd get a day off. And the trick was, that you had to get off the site. You had to go into Morecambe. You had to escape. Otherwise, usually somebody was ill and they'd call you in to do an extra shift. And of course, you'd get paid for it, but it meant that you wouldn't get your your day off. So Fran and I, we used to coordinate it. I don't know how we managed to do this. We must have sweet-talked somebody. We used to coordinate it so we had the same day off every week. And then we'd get up early and we'd be on that first bus into Morecambe and we'd stay there. Um, we'd often, uh, we would often we used to go to a place called The Galleon uh, where we used to go and have scampi, which seemed very uh, glamorous in those days. We'd stay there and have a drink and then catch the last bus back and that got us off the premises for the day and in doing all of this of course we spent a lot of time in Morecambe we spent a lot of time in that area and it's just such a strong memory such a strong experience that I've just been really tempted to write about it so it was such a beautiful weekend in the UK last weekend I said to my wife should we get down to to Morecambe on Sunday have a look around some of our old haunts and uh, I'll take some photographs as research for the book and of course these these all our memories are bound up in this place so it was a great day out. We went all round Morecambe, thoroughly enjoyed it. i got loads of photographs. The Where there used to be a holiday camp is now a retirement home. It's just been, been completely level. I just wanted to check because I wanted to see if there was anything left of it, but there isn't. They've basically taken the land. They completely leveled it, and they've just built some retirement houses there now. And we went along the beach, had a look at the beach. I just wanted to remind myself about the layout and how it all used to work. Cause it's a long time since I've been there. And uh, I actually posted on social media. I'll put this on the resources page. If you have a look on the resources page or on my Twitter account, you'll see that I posted a picture of my wife and I outside what is now this modern retirement home um, but it got people talking on Twitter and, uh, it was great. Actually, Julie Cordoner, who's been a guest on this show before, contacted me and said, I used to go there on holiday in the, I think it was the seventies, Julie said. It, it would have been the seventies, actually, if I was a student in the eighties. Julie's the same sort of age as me. Um, and she said, and I sent her some pictures that I'd found on Flickr and, um, it's obviously brought back a lot of memories for Julie too. And I just think it's just a brilliant, uh, location to set a thriller and to a psychological thriller in relationship. So uh, that's what I've done. Uh, in the book that I've just started writing this week but it was wonderful going back I've got loads of photographs do have a look at those tweets because I've put a photograph of myself I was 18 I'm always the toy boy in this relationship because my wife's about six months older than me so my wife would have been 19 at the time and I was 18 and there's a photograph of us there in Pontins car park me in my waiting gear we weren't blue coats which most people assume you are when you go to Pontins and blue coats were the entertainers Um, I was a waiter and my wife was what they used to call a nippy and a nippy used to do the cafeteria area and I used to do the table service area there and uh, our shifts were pretty well the same and then we'd meet up afterwards Um, so if you want to have a look back at that do because you'll probably hear me talking a little bit about this as I write the book but having um, just written the first chapters now it's been really nice for me to immerse myself in that environment of Morecambe because it all, it's all coming flooding back to me and I'm remembering all these things that I can mention so yeah it was good it was good going to, to Morecambe on Sunday for that book uh, that book research and I got to tell you by the way that I don't know whether you like me when you go into a bookshop you're probably there for quite a long time looking through the books there's this I'm not going to even tell you where it is uh, for, for legal reasons it's some, somewhere in Morecambe there's a bookshop there are several bookshops in Morecambe I'm not going to tell you which one and, um, it's like a sort of labyrinth. It's got loads, of, as every good bookshop has, it's got loads and loads of shelves. And, uh, we've never actually gone in this bookshop before. I think it's always been closed. We, we just, we've always looked at the, the, the books outside and, and never gone in. And we went in because it was open on Sunday. And I, I, I was going deeper into this bookshop and I heard a little squeal from the side of me. It was a, a, a group of women, a couple of women. And I looked down and by my feet, <laughs> was a rat's tail a rat had they disturbed a rat in this bookshop and it must have run by my feet I mean thank goodness I didn't see it I just saw its tail disappearing under the bookshelves where I was standing and I found my wife I said I can't stay there we've got I'm not going any deeper in the shop we're out of here so we evacuated the shop at great speed but oh can you imagine rats in a bookshop for goodness sake so uh, that's getting written into the story at some point I'm gonna have a little scene where a rat runs out in a bookshop it'll be completely coincidental just part of the scene of the book but I thought I've got to write about that it's great but I I won't locate the book for for legal reasons i had a book bub this week uh, of the secret bunker i submitted it to book bub Bo, i think it was on sunday and this is the 14th time of trying did i get it or did i not nope it was another knockback it was the 14th knockback for the secret bunker it's funny they just um, don't tell Meg got in first time and they've just knocked this book back uh, 14 times now the grid has had a mixed fortunes I think it was knocked back a couple of times and they accepted it and then they've just knocked it back the last time I submitted it and the grid is now due in again on the 10th of May so I will be submitting a sci-fi book again on the 10th of May It's just fingers crossed. We'll have to see whether we get any luck with it or not. Uh, Who knows? So, uh, but no no book bub for The Secret Bunker again this month. 15th time of trying next month. As you know, I'm just going to keep trying and trying and trying until either I get fed up or they get fed up and they let me in. It was great to hear from Rob Scott Norton this week. Uh, Rob's been a previous guest on the show. You can listen to Rob's interview at episode 65 of Self-Publishing Journeys. And not only is Rob an author, he also uh, does part run. He started in September of last year. I think I started in October. Uh, Rob's been a, a runner for a long time. I, and I, I haven't. I've been very sporadic. But we both seem to have come to run at about the same time. And I know that Rob has got as enthusiastic as I have about it. He volunteers and he runs. And I can't remember. Um, no, he sent me a resource first. We had a little chat about part run, which I get into here but Rob was just sending me a resource which I want to share with you it's on the web domain publishingwithlove.com Uh, and it's forward slash keyword nerve center. I'll put the link on the resource notes, but this is actually something that you need to clock if you're listing books on Amazon. So I've opened this up on my web browser and I'll, I'll give you their description for it. But the best thing is for you to just have a look at it and give it a play. But basically it says this resource, and it is free, is for authors to discover and compile their Kindle keywords. Now, you know that when you list on Kindle, you get seven keywords. And until fairly recently, to be honest with you, I would just finger in the wind, put thriller, psychological thriller, mystery, just a couple of keywords I can think of off the top of my head and not think anything of it. But actually, there's quite a lot of technical thought that needs to go behind those keywords. And I have tried to be cleverer with that since I've started buying Kalytics. Well, I have been cleverer with it since I started buying Kalytics. So this page says there is an Amazon keyword research tool that searches only real drop-down data from the Kindle store in real time. Now, Amazon search suggestions are the only real data that we get from Amazon as to what people are searching for. So I think it's probably comparing itself with KDP Rocket and saying that we do something slightly different. But effectively, this is trying to find for you the best keywords to use in your Amazon descriptions. And why I like it is because I don't like keyword research, it bores me. Uh, It's got category keywords, and you could also look up keywords by your genre now I'm not doing this any service but I did want to tell you that um, when you when you look at it and have a play with it you'll get it instantly it is free and it is on the resources page for this week's diary but it will just help you to be more methodical um, more strategic about the keywords that you use in your kindle listings it's a very good resource and to mention once again that keyword it is free So thanks ever so much, Rob. It was great to talk to you about Part Run, uh, but also thank you very much for sharing that resource. Uh, I would highly recommend if you are listening on KDP Select, you jump over there right now and take a look because that's certainly something I'm going to be using in the future. Now, here's something that I did in response to Joanna Penn's episode this week. I just i was walking to work, I think it was, and I just caught the tail end of it and that she mentioned a website that I hadn't heard of before. It's called Tail Flick tail flick and basically you can submit your books to tail flick and they will then consider them for screenwriting and potential adaption to film or TV and all of my books that I've written have always been written cinematically and and always with that kind of film budget in mind. So I, I know if you listen to Joanna Penn, you'll have heard Joanna saying that she did a screenplay and that somebody who was very seasoned in that environment said, we couldn't make this book. It would cost, was it 100 million, I think was the figure they quoted her, simply because of all the settings and the effects and things, I think that would be used. Um, whereas when I write my books, I always write them cinematically and I do always keep film budgets in mind, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to do, but they're written cinematically and I always have given consideration to how those those books would be realised The screen and my thrillers, particularly, uh, would be very easy. They're always using UK locations, they don't use high budgets, they use great locations, as with the case of Solent Forts, for instance, and with my sci fi, The Secret Bunker. Um, A lot of locations are already there, They're, they're ready to use, people know them already, so they would not be expensive films to shoot. So I decided. Uh, I think it was it cost me about sixty-five pounds, something like that. I thought, "Oh, what the heck? Uh, let's just submit one to this and see what happens." It'll I'll probably get the usual "Dear John" notification. Um, so I submitted "Dead of Night" mainly because "Dead of Night" just a, a, a kind of a rollicking good read. It's non-stop action. It'd be very cheap to film. Um, it's like kind of a Liam Neeson kind of film. Uh, just a thriller, just a, a high octane thriller, if you want to call it that fairly simple to film wouldn't cost a fortune a low budget company uh, could do it pretty easily and I just thought do you want, I'm going to put that on and see how I go so it costs $88 if you go through Joanna's link and you'll need to look in her show notes for this week's episode um she gets I forgot to do this actually but I think she's got an $8 discount if you get it through her of course I as ever completely forgot to get the discount I just paid full price for it but that's tailflick.com And I will leave a link for you in the show notes for this week to save you having to hunt for that. I've also, I'm sharing a lot of stuff actually on the show notes this week, but I also wanted to share a smart blogger article. It was just one that I got a lot of interest from and thought I'd share. It's from smartblogger.com and the title is Kindle Direct Publishing, How to Make Real Money on Amazon. This is a pretty extensive article Um, so I'm not going to attempt to describe it because I won't do it any justice but I will tell you that it feeds directly into the resource that Rob has sent us It, it 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 goes directly into where you should list, which categories you should list in, how to validate your book and make sure you're listing it um, in a category that's going to make you some money. So it feeds precisely to that keyword tool that Rob has shared with us. And and really, it's just an example of good practice and uh, an article, I think, that's so good, so detailed, and it's free that it's worth sharing. So you'll find that on this week's resources page. I'm not going to describe it to you. Um, what it says on the tin is what it does. Kindle Direct Publishing, how to make real money on Amazon. Just highly recommend you check out the resources page and give that a read. I think you'll find some interesting information on there. And I also just wanted to let you know that Kat Bama had sent me some links a couple of weeks ago that related to my comments about trying to get better at editing. And she'd sent me a link to Rachel Heron's podcast. And it was a particular episode about revising your book. And I just wanted to update you and Kat to say that I have now listened to that podcast episode. Uh, Kat said when she passed it on that Rachel writes its memoir, I think Rachel mainly writes. So... The rules she was giving were related to her experience of writing memoir. But even so, I still managed to take a page of A4 notes that still applied to me as a fiction author. So I will embed that podcast episode in this week's show notes. Again, I'm doing this just to save you hunting for it or me having to read loads of links out that you'll, you may miss a hyphen out and, and not be able to find. Um, it is primarily for memoir, so do bear that in mind but I found it very beneficial to go through how Rachel revises her books and the process that she uses to do that. And I'll share it with you in case that's information that would be useful to you as well. Pretty well, finally, for this week then, or until we get into my... 30 Negatives, Positives, and Author Aspirations before we reach that part of the show. I just wanted to let you know that on Thursday, I interviewed Kinga Gentetics from Publish Drive. Now, um, Kinga and I were trying to get dates sorted out, and I really wanted this interview to run as the second of my monthly interviews uh, on a Monday um but because of Kinga's date the fact that she's so busy in May I, I recorded it early and I'm just going to run it early I'm not going to hang on to it till June because frankly Publish Driver doing so many things they've changed so many things I, I fear it may be updated if I wait until June to run it so I'm going to drop Kinga's interview into next week's podcast diary so just like this week's diary it's going to be a long one uh, I'll just do the Obviously, the updates, my author updates for next week, and then I'll put Kinga's interview at the back of that episode. It'll probably be about thirty minutes, forty minutes by the time it's edited. But there's so much going on with Publish Drive, um, I'm not, I'm not going to wait because I think I'll be giving you old news if I wait to release it. So I just wanted to let you know that you've got two weeks of of bumper episodes on the podcast diary. This week, obviously, um, it's 150th edition, so you've got that extra content that I've prepared for you, and also next week you'll have the diary as usual, and you'll get that in. Interview with Kinga Gentetics from Publish Drive. And as you know, I'm a big and instant fan of Publish Drive. I'm using them particularly to list for uh, my Google books, but also they help to get you into um, foreign territories. And uh, the one I'm particularly interested in is China. So that's it for this week's author news. Just to finish off, I did just want to uh, mention um, Judy Cordner for the second time. So we and Judy have been chatting a little bit. On, on social media this week but Julie just got back to me to say that she'd been listening to my diary in the garden frightened all the birds off uh, and she'd been listening to it on headphones she said uh, because I pitied the neighbors if she'd had it on a speaker um, but she said I've been listening to your diary in the sunshine and she just wanted to let me know this is in response to something I mentioned last week I've been using Kindle Create for the last year and in the last year yeah, in the last two books, it's been fine. So she's used it for the last year and she's used it for the last two books. And she says it's been fine. So the only downside is that you can't download the Mobi file. So all you could do is upload it to KDP. So I just had a quick look at the tool and it was just looking pretty good to me. And the images that they had, the how-to images look very similar to me to Vellum. It looked like that quality, that kind of quality of a tool. So so really then it is only by the sounds of it for you if you are um uploading to to just Amazon's platform because it creates a mobi if you're uploading to publish drive if you're uploading to draft digital and if you're uploading to what's the other one publish drive draft digital and the other one kobo then you will need an epub so it sounds like it won't be very useful for that but if you want to avoid the costs of vellum and you are going Amazon exclusive, this does sound like it's worth looking at. Now, I must have looked at Kindle to create in the dim and distant past, uh, and obviously I've settled on vellum now, but it did look pretty good. I did just want to mention it to you, and Judy's getting on fine with it. Um, She's done two books. It's been fine, but just be aware of that limitation that you can't download the Mobi. When you get the file, you just have to upload it directly to KDP, which is fine if you're exclusive in Amazon, uh, not so useful if you want to go wide. Okay, that's it for this week's news. I'll just remind you before we segue neatly into my author positives, negatives, and aspirations that I will have another diary for you next Saturday, of course, with more bonus content. We'll be chatting to King of Gentetics from Publish Drive about their platform and what it could do for indie authors. So just in case you tune out of the next bit, I just wanted to let you know that. If you're not listening to the next bit, have a great week of writing or editing. And now let's segue neatly onto this week's extra content. Second part of this week's diary, and to mark the fact that I've now produced 150 of these diary episodes, I thought I'd go through my indie author positives, negatives, and aspirations. And these little specials that I do from time to time always seem to prove quite popular. So I I was thinking of an idea for one, and I thought I'd just go through my top 10 indie author negatives, my top 10 indie author positives, and also to share something that I've never shared on this podcast diary before. You've probably picked them up just by listening every week but I've never really articulated what my author aspirations are they call it when you hear the kind of my the mindset people they talk about what's your why and I thought I would articulate what my why is what my drivers are with this so hopefully you'll find this interesting and we'll start we'll start with the negatives first because I want to uh, end on the positive stuff so th- this is where I am 150 Diaries, uh, many of you have followed me all the way through with this, so you'll have heard all the ups and the downs and the sideways and the I'm stuck kind of frustrations. This is a kind of summary of of if I'm feeling negative about being an indie author or where I am, these are the things that make me feel uh, down or negative about where I am. So we'll start with the negatives, we'll move on to the positives, honestly. So first of all, and you know this, um, number one, I'm not making enough income. I'm not happy with the income, and I've been at this four years now, four or five years, I can't remember how many years it is, but um, we're coming up to 20 books, and I'm just not earning enough income, now I know that's all relative, so I think it was, I, you know I'm not brilliant at this stuff, because I'm not very good at the numbers, um, but I, I think I earned something like 20,000, $20, dollars between, was it December, Last year, December this year, 2018. So about $20,500, I think I worked out over a a year from something like a January 2018 to December 2018. And then I told you a couple of weeks ago what I'd made in terms of what I was declaring for the Inland Revenue. And that was I'd made... Is it about £16,500? So $20,500 over one year period, £16,500 over another one year period. Now, I know that, say, from my year one, year two, year three income, that has had an upwards trajectory. It's gone up every year. It'll probably be a bit less this year, maybe. I don't know. It depends how the rapid re-releases go. It's difficult to say. Um, but So I, I know that it's going upwards. I also know that that is more than a lot of of people are earning. I know that a lot of people would love to earn that. I also know that for a long time, I said to you that my first target was to earn more than my wife did. Uh, And remember, my wife is part-time term time. So for a long time, I've earned more than that. And I'd almost forgotten that target. It was only really making this list that I remembered it. So I have blown all those initial targets out of the water. I've beat the average of uh, what a traditional author earns. And I've seen two figures for that. One was about 4,000, I think it was. The other was 10,000. But I've beat both of those figures. So by anybody's reckoning, that's that's okay. But I also know people who have had phenomenal years, 100,000 pound years. uh, And that's the kind of year that I want to have. And we'll talk about that when we get to my, my aspirations, the kind of numbers that would make me feel successful. So I I don't have enough income yet and I don't feel successful yet. But you know, I say that's a negative because it's not where I want to be. The trend is upwards. It has constantly improved. I've blown most of my own targets out of the water, but I'm still not happy. I'll tell you about the point at which I will be happy though, when we get to the aspiration section. So author negative number two is I need to improve on show, don't tell. And you know that I'm taking proactive movements to do this. And I think part of improving as an indie author is to articulate what you're bad at and what you're good at. And and I know I'm bad at show, don't tell. I, I, I know that if I've got a big fault with my writing, it's in that. And the steps I'm taking to try and put that right are obviously to focus more on the editing process, I've bought and read a book about Show, Don't Tell. I need to reread that book and I really need to to tackle that. But that is a big Achilles heel. And I know I need to learn ways around that. I need to be better at identifying it and I need to improve on that. So that is a big uh, negative in terms of my craft, my author craft. And uh, I am focusing on doing something about that. And that also leads to point three in the negatives is that I need to find a process for editing and to find... More enjoyment in the process of editing. So you know that I don't enjoy editing. I I like the production stage. I love the creativity of the first draft. And I listen to people like Joanna Penn, who says that she doesn't like that first draft. She actually loves the editing. So we're all different. We all come with different skills and different likes and hates with this. And I I desperately need to try and find a way of making editing into um you know a routine into a tick off list because as you know. I, I, I respond better to tick off lists I, I, and, and if I can boil editing down to a routine of things that I check for, um, then I think that will help me. So that is going to be my, my aim over this year, to, to to work on that and to try and find a way to love editing or at least not dislike it as much as I currently do. Negative number four is that I am a three point something star author at the moment And I want to find a way to become a 4.8 star author. So I think that, again, I'm painting these as negatives, but I don't feel completely negative about them because if I look at my feedback, uh, there are many many five-star reviews there, very effusive people who just love it, don't find fault with it. And I I know there are faults with the stories. So I I don't pretend that although it's a five-star and it's lovely to see that enthusiasm, I, I know that. I'm far from being a perfect writer, but when you when you average all those scores down, I'm about three point something. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't get many ones. I think I got a, I, I might be wrong with this. You know, I don't check my reviews, but I don't get that many ones. Probably what brings those scores down are more sort of threes, um, which is kind of I don't really care either way sort of score, I guess, but. If you just leave it to the natural reviews, and and with what I'm doing with the marketing at the moment, where I'm giving a lot away for free, and I do think your marks tend to veer downwards when you give away for free. I'm a three point something author at the moment, and I, and I want to be a four point something author with regularity. So that's that's one of the things I think that's negative at the moment in my indie author career. And again, you you'll have heard me talk about this in these podcast diary episodes, number five on this list of author negatives, is that I just don't feel like I'm getting traction among readers yet. I feel that if I wasn't lucky enough to be getting as many book bubs as I had, I have been very lucky with that. I know I have. But if I wasn't getting those book bubs, I wouldn't have moved the needle at all. I don't get any sense that I've got this loyal following who just can't wait to get my next book. You know, I know I've got a little, I've got a little core of readers. Uh, but but nothing great. What would be nice is to be able to release a book and have all these people who just can't wait to read it. And I don't feel like I've got that yet. Um, so I would like to get more traction among readers. In the author negative number six is uh, this is a personal thing, and actually this is something I would say. It's interesting when I when I came to Cumbria for the BBC in my first year's appraisal, and this is going back to the year two thousand. So this is nineteen years ago. I remember my managing editor then saying that I probably needed to grow a thicker skin with feedback, and that's still still an issue. Um, so I'm I could be easily deflated by poor or negative feedback, and that's always been the case. But I think the one saving grace for me is that I always rally. Um, I would, it would help if I had a thicker skin if I just if it was just water off a duck, duck's back. But this is this has always been my way. If I get some fairly bruising feedback is I will retreat and lick my wounds but usually after a night's sleep I'm back there like tigger ready to go again and it really is after a night Um it knocks me back for a little bit I'll feel quite negative about it I'll, I'll feel very deflated have a night's sleep and I'm, I'm back and ready to go again That's, so you know that that might feel resilient to some people because I don't lick my wounds for very long but I wish I could have a a thicker skin. Uh, I feel that I need a thicker skin with this stuff. And um, I shouldn't, when I was on the radio, you used to get your listening figures and all my listening figures, they were always good. But if I got one complaint uh, that was very negative and bitching, it would throw me back and I'd forget all the good stuff. And it's the same now with books, um, one negative comment, one snarky, snidey, horrible sort of comment, and it knocks me back. Um But as I say, I do always rally. It doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do. I guess it would be really negative if it did. If it stopped me from writing, because I just carry on anyway. Uh, but I wish I wish it just ran off me like water off a duck's back. Uh, negative number three, baby, pardon. We're at number seven now. Is money, and um, I wish that I could pay to get everything done properly instead of constantly having to bootstrap. And if you've listened to these 150 diaries, if you've been with me on this whole journey, you'll know that I've always bootstrapped. Well, it would be really nice to be slightly ahead with the money. And it would be really nice to be making enough money. It's not a huge amount, frankly, for me to just relax a little bit, to take more time getting the books out, to, to go through the process of with each book of going through a structural edit and a couple of months that will take to come back and then to go through it again with the structural edit and then to start putting it towards copy edits and, and proofreads, and just really to take more time about this process. The reason that I don't is is for money. The reason I write so fast, the reason I get them out so fast, is to make money, to get units out making money, so I can bootstrap more. And I just hope at some point, and we're getting there, because again, if you have listened to a lot of these diaries, you'll know that when I started, I was doing a lot of training, corporate training and the corporate training was what was paying for the edits and the covers and again you you do sometimes have to stop I think this is the benefit of me doing something like this on the diary you do sometimes have to stop and take stock and I have beaten a lot of my targets one of my targets was to be able to reduce the corporate training that I was doing and I am pretty well I am paying and for the last year have paid for covers and edits from book income so I'm not having to do the corporate training to pay for these things now But money has been a constant driver in this. And because I do bootstrap, I won't supplement my author career from household money. The two things are separate. So the author career runs as a business and has to be self-fueling. I won't dip into this pot, the pot that feeds us and keeps the roof over our head to to keep the books going. The books have to be self-sustaining and always have had to be. I do think that's a really good discipline, but it does make life harder for you. So when I said to you that I, I earned... 16,000, whatever it was, all that got spent. That wasn't income. That all got spent on edits, covers, advertising, all the things that you use to run a business. And um, what I would really like to get to is where maybe I can do all those things. I can relax a little bit with the writing schedule, just take a little bit more time to concentrate, concentrate on the quality rather than the quantity and for money not to be such a big issue there. So, so money is number seven in those indie author negatives. Number eight sort of feeds into that because I think things would have been better for me if I'd slowed down and moved the books through much slower. Um, I've always, I've written at speed, as you know, I get them out fast. If I make mistakes, if somebody spots errors, I just change them on the hoof. Uh, um, And I've always worked on this MVP, this minimum viable product basis. And when I do talks on being a self-publisher, I call it good to ship. Is the book good to ship? And my my view with the book is that um, they're always good to ship when I let them go in that they've been edited, I've gone through them, I've got them as good as I can, I've polished them as much as I can. They are as good as I can given the financial time restraints that I've got. So they're good to ship. And I always think that you when, when something's good enough to ship, it's probably at 80 to to it's somewhere in between 80 to 100% great. And to add a percentage after 80, to get it to 81, to get it to 82, is probably going to take a disproportionate amount of time. So it's quite easy to spend the time to edit it, to to get a decent cover, to get it to that 80% threshold. But then every time you read the book, you might catch two more spellings to take it to 81%. And so the amount of time and the delay in releasing that's involved in that, I think it's ever decreasing circles. So I work on a basis of good enough to ship, that I'm happy to ship this now. And if I've made some spelling mistakes, if there's an error in there that I have missed, somebody will tell me about it pretty quickly. The joy of self-publishing is I can put it right. No one's going to die. It's not brain surgery. So I've always used this this good to ship process. But I think it would be quite nice. It would love be lovely to detach from that need to, to generate money to get more books out and to just be able to take some time. To, to luxuriate a little bit of time to to rewrite and, and make things better. And actually, if I ever had that time, I might say, really, the books are no much better for me doing that. I know a lot of people will say, I'm trying to think, it might be Joanna Penn. Somebody was t- on one of the podcasts was saying one of the fastest books they wrote was one of the best-selling books, and it was produced at great speed. So I, I suspect that the job would probably expand to fill the time available, and, and that is something that also concerns me, that I am I work pretty efficiently uh, at the moment. But if I had a lot more time, I might not really make very many improvements within that time. But that is something I, I would like to try. In the same way that I tried in the first three months of this year, writing really fast. And I, I found that actually, that's a little bit too fast for me. Certainly when I'm working, I suspect I might find if I had more time that actually I didn't need it, that actually I was wasting it. But at the moment, I feel like I would love to just have that time to take time on a book and to get, really get it right. Number nine in my in the author negatives, I know I need to improve on my writing craft. And I think my frustration with this has been that I, I need to find the right mentor. And I don't know who or what that is. So I've tried a few things. I, I've signed up to a few courses and, and then thought, nah, this is not right for me. I, I, I ducked out of them or refunded on them. And I, I won't I won't name names, and I, I might not have even mentioned these specifically in the podcast story because I don't want to come on here and and put people off using services where a lot of the time it, it's really, we're just not a good fit. You're just not a good fit with somebody. But I, I have done a couple of things, high ticket, and then thought, no, this is not what I'm after. And what I would love to find is that right support, that right mentor framework to work with me and guide me through. What I'm really looking for, I guess, is somebody who's had success, the kind of success that I I want to mimic, and somebody who with a sure hand can come in and say, you need to do this, Paul. Um, That's not right. Um, The way you've done that is not right. And to just guide me with that kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi hand, if you want, uh, somebody who just knows what they're doing and has a a firm touch. Um, But of course, there's also that link then to money that generally you would have to pay for something like that. But that's what I feel that I that I need really is the right the right mentor. And to take you back to the point six that I made here, I'm easily deflated by poor and negative feedback. It's quite important to me. If I feel like I'm in that sort of school situation where somebody's looking down their nose at you, telling you off because you're stupid, that doesn't work for me. The situation that works for me is when we're both trying to polish it. Uh, we're both working on the same project and our aim is only to make it better not to humiliate and make anybody feel stupid but to make the thing as good as we can be and it's really important to me to get that in a mentor um, that to to lose the judgment and to just make the product great very very important to me and it feeds back into that needing a thicker skin uh, but I haven't really found the right mentor to work with, and I would love to find that because that's what I feel like I need. When I was talking about getting from a three point something author to a four point something author, I just feel like I need somebody with a sure hand to guide me through, and um, that—that's what I feel I need at the moment to to improve on craft. And that, frankly, could be um, an editor. But uh, and a lot of these things, you know, you you shaft yourself with a lot of these things. One of my perpetual problems and this might be a mindset thing, but I, I like to take advice from people who've done it and who I would aspire to be like. So one of my problems potentially with editors looking down their nose at me is I always think, well, have you written a book? And have you, you know, have you walked this journey? Have you written a book and have you had publishing success? Because that's the kind of, that's I need to take my advice from someone like that. Now that might be a block on my part, it might be a mindset block on my part, but I prefer to take my advice from people who've walked the walk. Um, and so I would prefer to have an editor who's written a great book, had some success with that book and therefore can share the, the steps that they got to that process. That's just kind of what I like in my mentors. I like to be able to look up to them and say, I want a bit of that success. I want to learn from you. So um, yeah, I want to find the right mentor, but I don't know who or what form that would take and finally then in my indie author negatives I do often think about throwing in the towel and just walking away and I'm sure you do too when you're feeling deflated when you're thinking why oh why am I picking myself up to write another book which will probably have mediocre success Um, but after a short break something always keeps me going with it it's probably just bloody mindedness but I do think about throwing in the towel and I often do think if you just walked away and I just kept submitting the books I've written to BookBub, it would probably pay for a couple of holidays every year with with what I've done already. If I just took the money out and, and put it into holidays, it would probably pay for a couple of nice holidays to Spain every year. Um, so I do think about throwing in the towel, but it's funny, I'm coming up to my 55th birthday next year and, and for a lot of years, My ambitions have not been about being the richest person in the neighbourhood or the most successful in terms of their career status. My ambitions aren't about that now at my age. My ambitions are personal things now. And I'll, I'll allude to this where I'll talk to you more specifically about this when we get to the author aspirations. But I I don't care about the other stuff anymore in in terms of my career and how many hours I work and how successful people perceive me to be. It's actually now more about how successful I perceive me to be. They're more internal goals that I want to reach, Uh, health goals and a a writing goal. But I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But um, yeah, I do think about throwing in the towel. Um, I haven't done it yet. I haven't walked away. I'm not saying that I won't do it in the future, but it is something that I do think about. Uh, on a fairly regular basis is it this is it time to call it quits now should I just forget this but the the other thing is that I always remember that when I was trying to get into radio that it took me years to get into radio I think the first radio broadcast I did was at the age of 18 when I, I stepped in on hospital radio for a friend uh, my dad's friend and I was bitten by the bug But I didn't get a job at the BBC till I was, I think it was 27 to nine years, took me nine years. And then I had a 20 year career with the BBC, which I loved. And I was ready to leave after 20 years. You know, things change as they do. Uh, I'd done what I wanted to do there. Uh, But it took me nine years to get into the BBC. And there were many times when I despaired and, and, and wanted to walk away and just thought, why am I pushing this? This is pointless. So I have, I've been through that journey before. I've, I've got to the the end or the objective of that journey, which is I just wanted to work for the BBC. That's all I ever wanted to do is just work in a BBC local radio station. Didn't need to be famous. It's just what I wanted to do. It's what I love doing. And and I reached that objective after nine years of keeping going. So part of me knows that you've just got to keep going. And if I if I had that hit book, it might come in book 21. And all those 20 books that I, I've written before then that didn't do so well, they will all have been part of that journey, getting to the 21st one, to the hit book. They're all part of the journey. I know that. I know that from my radio career. But that doesn't mean that I don't think about walking away. And I'm sure, I'm sure you do a lot too when, when you think, have I had enough? Am I making a fool of myself? Am I wasting my time here? So in summary, with the indie author negatives, I think that I've got massive self-doubt about my abilities. I don't think that I'm uh, good I don't think that I'm talented. I don't think I have any natural talent. I think that I have to work hard at everything I do. Things don't come easy, um, so I'm quite vulnerable to the wrong kind of criticism. But I do have massive self-doubt. I don't. I'm almost embarrassed. I would never read my, my writing aloud. Um, when I see five-star reviews, it makes me happy because I think, well, I can't be that bad. If 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 at least some people review at five stars and they love it, uh, I can't be completely terrible. But I, I am plagued by massive self-doubt, always have been, was always plagued by it uh, on the radio. And so therefore, it makes me quite vulnerable to the wrong kind of, of criticism or critique. Uh, I don't have a very thick skin. And uh, that sometimes makes me wonder whether I should just give up and walk away. So I did say I wanted to start with the negatives. And I did want this to be quite um, an honest piece, And. Um, so it all—it's all positive from now on. That's what I want to say to you. But I did want to share that because one of the big things about me doing this podcast—I don't just want you to hear the positive stuff. I don't want this to be the social media view of my indie author life. I want you to see the ups and the downs. Um, I want you to see all of it because I think it's more useful that way. So let's move on to my ten indie author positives. So positive number one is I enjoy this more than I ever thought I would. I love creating the stories. I love having the ideas. I love going to locations and thinking how that might fit into a story. I love thinking about my stories when I'm walking to work, when I'm at work, when I'm at the shops, when I'm lying awake in bed. I I love thinking it through. When I look at my stories, when I look at my books on the shelves, I feel very proud and I, I look at the work I've done and think, how did I ever do that? How do I write these stories when I've done them? So I enjoy it. More than I ever thought I would. And I've written a lot of words now and I enjoy it. So that's positive number one. I really enjoy this lark. Number two is I could do the work. So I've done, what am I? I'm about to start, at the time of recording this, I'm about to start writing my 19th book now. And remember, I, I never count the seven non-fictions I've written because they came and went, but they were all about 20,000 words each. But I, I'm really just counting the fiction at the moment. I don't, I just discount the non-fictions I've done and never really throw those into the pot. But the I've done 18 fiction books now. And although they're obviously, in terms of reviews, I'm a three point something author, as I said to you earlier, I, I can do the work. I can sit down, I can write books and I can re- replicate that. Um, I can do the work. Uh, Who is it? Is it Stephen Pressfield, Do the Work, that book? Probably misquoting that, but I think you know the one that I mean, if you're familiar with Stephen Pressfield, I think it's, I'm sure it's called Do the Work. So I can do the work. I can sit down, day in, day out. I can write 5,000 words. I can get the books done. So that's another positive. Now, going back to the negatives, if I can do the work with the enjoyment and I can combine that with the craft, then we're going to get that book that's going to fly. And, and that's why I keep going and don't give up. So number three in the the Author Positives is I can come up with the stories. And, and this sort of always amazes me, really. I was saying to my wife at dinner today before I recorded this, that uh, I, as I'm recording this, I'm about to start writing another book. And I've never started a book and not made it work. I, so I can come up with the stories. I, I've got a good. I think I've got a reasonable grasp of the shape of a story with its beginning, middle, and end. So, so I can come up with the stories. I can come up with the ideas. And, and again, that, to me, that's another positive um, because all the time I could do that. I, I think one of the mindsets, for instance, for many people who aspire to be published traditionally, is that they've got one book in them, this one special book, and they'll write that book, and that will be their an author. And I don't feel that way about it. I feel like I've got endless books in me. I could be writing till I'm 80 or 90, that I'm I'm only as good as my last story because I could always come up with another story. So I do feel that my imagination is an endless well. I do think that you need to nourish it. I think you need to go away. You need to take the air sometimes. You need a little bit of a break. I like mixing my genres to help me do that, but I, I can come up with the stories. And I think that's an indie author positive. And related to what I just said there, number four, I love writing in my genres, so I write non-fiction, I write science fiction and I write thrillers and I do like the mix, so I've just spent the first three months of this year writing military sci-fi and actually military sci-fi is a sub-genre of sci-fi, I've tended to write kind of young adult dystopian sci-fi uh, to date, so military sci-fi is a sub-genre and that's been another challenge for me. And actually having written three sci-fis, I can't wait get, to get back to a thriller now. So I'm back to the real world, no fantasy, no aliens, don't have to think of funny names for anything. Uh, it's the real world, it's relationships, it's real people's conversations. And I'm really looking forward to getting back into that. So I do like having two genres. It's a palette cleanser, if you want. It keeps me nice and fresh. Um, so that's something else. I love writing in my genres. Number five, indie author positives. I really enjoy meeting and talking to other authors. I love this indie author world, and I hadn't realised how much I loved it until I attended 20 Books, the London event in 2018. And I never have never got such a strong sense as I did at that event of being among my people, people who aspire to do the same thing as me, people who are doing the work. That's what I love about that 20 Books set up is that people know they've got to do the work. I, um, one, one of the reasons that I didn't want to um, do a lot of training for the authors was because I was doing local training and I'd sit around the room and I thought, none of you people are going to do any of this work. And with the exception, incidentally, of a, a couple of people that I've met and I keep in touch with, and John Cronshaw is one of those people. When I was doing one of my sessions, I remember meeting John. And this is why I got him on the podcast thinking, you're doing the work already and you're going to do the work. So you're my kind of indie author, which is why John and I have stayed connected. And there's another gentleman who I haven't interviewed, but who I actually meet at Park Runs. But these are p- people I've met who I've very quickly identified as people who are going to do the work. But a lot of the people when I've done those sessions, which is why I've stopped doing them, is I think you are never in a month of Sundays going to do this work. And when I'm explaining to people what it takes to be an indie author, I'm thinking you ain't going to do this. You, 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 you want to magically publish a book and you think it's going to be a bestseller without any effort on your part and and so why i love the 20 books group the people who that attracts is they know that it takes work and i like people who do the work so i love i love that indie author world and i love the 20 books world that's they're my kind of people they they all know they got to do the work and they're all aspiring to the same thing and then Number six, this is kind of what feeds back into the negatives. So when I said to you that I constantly, or I often feel like throwing in the towel and just walking away and just enjoying life without uh, torturing myself writing these books. But one of the reasons I come back is I love the excitement of it all. I love to write the book. I love thinking this might be the one. Is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one that people love? Is this going to fire it up? And I know that the more books I write, the more chance I stand of of finding that book, the one that people love that flies and really takes off. So I, I love the excitement of it all, much as it can grind me down sometimes. I also love that perpetual sense of excitement, of, of launching new books into the world and, and hoping that they'll find an audience and that people will love them. So I, 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 that's what keeps me coming back, I guess. And point seven in my indie author positives is I love the process of creation. I've always loved creation. Uh, interestingly, if I said to you about being on the radio, the re- the reason I loved being on the radio was it, is it's so creative. When you present a radio show for two or three hours, as I did, whether it was phone-in, whether it was music and chat, whether it was news, is I used to get this massive sense of satisfaction of having produced two hours, three hours of radio. I produced a show and presented a show. And I just used to get massive satisfaction from that. When I was a radio reporter creating three-minute radio packages I used to love that because it was just telling a story in three minutes it's why I love the podcast 150 episodes of this diary I've put out now each one of those feels like an act of of creation when I look back I look at all that product that I've produced and that's where I get my satisfaction the same with the books I got all my books lined up to my right on my bookshelf here I look at that and that's a beautiful process of creation I've always loved creating things books podcasts radio whatever it is So, I love the process of creation. To hold a book in your hand that you've written is a magical experience. And that's a huge positive for me as an indie author. Positive number eight is I never thought that I could do this. So, I've wanted to write for years. If you scroll back, I can't remember which episode it was when I. I talked about my author journey from about age nine and I was talking about my primary school writings and when I tried to write books when I was nine years old on on notepads and things like that. You know, I've I, like everybody or, or most people, I've had this vague illusion that I might want to be an author and I, I had it till I was about 15 or 16 life then takes you at that point and family takes you and then you get a little bit older often and you're thinking about your life choices and you think well I might return to this This is something I'd like to do when I started to write the first 5,000 words of the secret bunker for that competition I never thought it would take me to where I am now where I I am an author I, I make thousands of pounds not that many incidentally but thousands of pounds um, I can't say thousands, because it's more than a thousand, it's more than two thousand, it's more than three thousand, it's more than ten thousand, so I make thousands of pounds as an author uh, in income, and so that makes me a professional author, I, I could earn an income from it, generate income from it, so I can do this, I'm not doing it well enough, as you heard in the, in the author negatives, it's not good enough for me yet, you'll hear more about that shortly, but I can do this, I can write books, I can write more than one book I have written more than three trilogies I can do this I need to get better at it I need to improve my craft but I can do this and there are many people who say yeah I've always wanted to write a book or I'm writing a book and it takes forever and they never get the book written okay you and me because we've self-published books we can do this and that's a massive positive because we've got over this if only and we've made it we've got an outcome we've done it we've got a book and maybe we've got two books or three books. And that's an amazing process of creation. So number eight, I could do this. I can write books. Number nine is that I've alluded to this already. It's a big positive for me is pride. I get pride at looking at my body of work, looking back and wondering how I did that. But I know the answer to that. The answer is I did the work. I put one foot in front of the other. So it's very easy. So for instance, with this podcast, I think, where are we up to now? I've done, this is, I've done 150 diary episodes and something like 136 interview episodes. And a lot of people, when I say oh, I've been doing the podcast for three years and I've done this many episodes, people say, wow, wow, how'd you do that? Well, I'll tell you how I did it is I started at episode number one and I just kept going. And it's the same with the books. I started with 5,000 words of the secret bunker one written for a competition. And I just kept going. And if you just keep going, you end up with a row of books on your shelf. And this kind of goes back to the negatives. You know, I say they're negative. I've got self-doubt about my abilities. I know I'm not a good enough writer. I know I need to improve. I know all those things. But if I just keep going, my body of work increases, my skills hopefully increase, and I get better at it. And I hopefully improve the chances of getting that book that we all want, that one that everybody loves. So I do constantly get pride looking at the body of work I've created, both with this podcast and with the books. Um, And that to me is a big author positive. And then number 10 is I really want to do this and I crave success as an author. I really want to have that public success as an author. I want to have at least one book that flies, that people love, one book that I just get right, that I, I just strike right with it. And, um, that to me is a massive positive because that, that's what tips me. Point number 10 in the negatives was I think about throwing in the towel and walking away. But point 10 in the positives is that I really want to do this and I crave that, that success. And that it's that constant tension of the positive and the negative. It's that those down times when you think that you can't do it and those up times when you think I really must do this. I've got to keep going this. I, I want to just keep going until I can do it. So I don't see it. Is entirely positive and negative. I think it ebbs and flows all the time. So in summary, with my indie author positives, I would say that I'm fueled by the sense of creating something from nothing. I love telling my stories and I really want to make a success of this. That's the positives here. So let's move on to my author aspirations. And what you'll hear a lot of these mindset experts Talking to you about is they'll say you need to know your why why are you doing this you know what makes me pick myself up after getting maybe a bad review or a negative review or feeling that a book maybe hasn't worked as well as it could have done what makes you pick yourself up why do you do it why do we do this and write books when other people just sit there wistfully hoping that somehow our book's good to materialize when you and me we do the work uh, so I just wanted I don't think I've ever shared this with you in such great detail but I just wanted to give you the 10 reasons my author aspirations what I want from this and when what will make me feel like a success so author aspiration number one that I write at least one really great book in my lifetime just once I want to have that feeling that I've written a great book and I know it can't be universally loved. You know, look at Harry Potter, look at Stephen King. They've always got their one-star reviews. But I want to I let something out the gate that just gets that sense of people really like this. So it's widely well-regarded uh, by, I don't know, tra- traditional editors, publishers. It's just seen generally as a good book. So I just want to feel that I've got one really great book in my indie author lifetime. And feeding into that, and this is, I think you've got to look at, they call it blue sky thinking, don't they? I know that's a cliche in corporate terms, but I I think you've got to dream big. I think you've got to be realistic, but I do think you want to dream big. And let me tell you, you know, I would love to get a film or a TV series made from one of my books. I write cinematically. I don't think I've ever written a book or a series that I didn't picture in my head as a film. Um, And and I know how that'd be done. I've been mindful of the budget when I write them. So for instance, The Secret Bunker, if you wanted to make a TV series or a film of that book and actually one of the regular bits of feedback I get, this is probably the same for all authors, but so many people say, this should be a film. I'd love to see this as a film. And I want a film or a TV series made from a book. So The Secret Bunker, very easy to film. You just use Scotland's Secret Bunker. You'd use it during the winter months when it's closed, October to February. You'd have the run of the place. You could just take it over and film in there and you could film your trilogy over four months. Um, perfect. So that wouldn't even cost a fortune. You'd green screen the bits that you needed to do. It's just really easy green screen. So it wouldn't even be a high budget. The same with the grid. The grid would be almost entirely green screen. It was just like it was based around effectively the holodeck and Star Trek. So that would be a green screen um, film and with the thrillers all of my they're not international settings they're all fairly local settings they'd work really well as itv dramas if you look at the bay which is screening on itv at the moment in the uk it's just a local Thriller, just using local settings. It's not expensive. It's not in Paris or New York or anything like that. You'd you'd be able to get to all the settings really cheaply. So all of my books um, use Northern settings or easy settings. I've used the Caledonian Sleeper uh, as well. What else have I used? I've used the Solent Forts. They'd all let you have access for filming. Um, So everything that I've ever done you could write very easily turn into a film or a TV series on very, very reasonable budgets. So I would love to get a film or a TV series made from one of my books. I'm I'm sure everybody says that, but I would too. It's one of my aspirations, one of my dreams. I would love to be on the set of them filming a TV series or a film and maybe even do a, what's his name? I've forgot his name. The guy who did The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock, a walk-on part in your own series. Something like that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? So number three, I'd like to get the feeling at some point that I'm not pushing against a closed door. So all the time at the moment, I've said to you earlier in this recording, I've said that I always feel like if I hadn't got those book bubs, I'd just be where I was three years ago. I wouldn't be doing very well. I'd just be pushing, 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 trying to sell books. And if I hadn't had the book bubs, nothing would have changed, I don't think. And it's only if I stop getting the book bubs, I'll be back where I was. I just don't feel like I'm getting traction. So I'd love to have that feeling that I had released a book and that people were actually waiting for it. So this is that feeling when people release a book and it it takes them to the top 10 or something like that. That's what I'd love at some point in my indie author career. I I always feel like I'm pushing against a closed door. Everything feels like an effort at the moment and it would be lovely to just release something and feel that it had got its own life, that people were waiting for it number four in my author aspirations this is an important one I want to turn it into a lifestyle because I'm going to be 55 soon at 60 I can take my BBC pension um, and, and you know I won't be working for somebody else when I'm 60 whatever happens I, I do want to keep working but I'll have that sort of freedom at 60 um, I want to travel around to I'd, I'd love to be asked to speak at festivals on author panels. I'd love for me and my wife to travel around, attending the festivals and I, my wife loves reading and she'd be happy going around the festival. I'd go on, I'd like to go on the panels and just talk about my books and things like that. And and that would be a lifestyle. And because you were appearing, they'd pay for your hotel and your transport and it would just be like a hobby. Be fantastic. And so, you know, my wife loves reading. My wife would be very happily attend all these festivals too. So I'd like to turn it into a, a lifestyle. A, a semi-retirement lifestyle, so you're working, you're keeping active, you know, I don't want to stop working, I, I want to keep my brain engaged, this is why I love writing, because it offers all this opportunity for engaging with people, for talking shop about books and marketing and things like that, it's such a lovely way uh, to stay active and engage with the community, and, and, and I really, that's really part of my aspiration with this, to turn it into a lifestyle for, for me and my wife. And, and to just travel around maybe once a month, go into a festival, me appearing on stage, my wife will go, she won't want to listen to me, she'll go listen to other people and go out, have food in the evening. I, that sounds splendid to me. So that's one of my aspirations with this. The, one of the other aspirations is freedom of location. You've pr- probably picked this up a lot, but at the moment, I mean I'm I'm not gonna be clear for another couple of years really with freedom of location because of the kids and the kids are still coming home from university and things like that. So I don't have that autonomy uh, yet and um, I have got much more autonomy now the kids are older so we can go away f- for longer stints and go away overnight and things like that but we can't just disappear just yet but one of my aspirations is that freedom of location and, and what this is why I go to Spain why I went to Spain for three weeks and um, why since I left the BBC we've usually gone to Spain in the winter and, and certainly f- for a period where we could do it we went for a month at a time it's to create that that an in between point where where it feels like you're there almost forever, but you're not. So more than a holiday, but less than a, a relocation. So freedom of location is really important to me. And this is why I want to stick at the writing because if I could just I could make enough uh, money out of it uh, to, to sort of pay pay as we go, That will be great, and then when the kids are old enough, we could just disappear, and me and my wife, we could just sort of travel around. And and I really, I really like that feeling. Now, when I talk about freedom of location, I don't want to be constantly on the road. But I, what my ideal is, is staying somewhere three to three to six months at a time, and then moving on and trying somewhere new. So I want to have that home is important to me uh i don't want to be on the road all the time and living out of hotels and things that's a young person's game but it's certainly not my game uh but but three to six months at a time and then saying well oh, should we move to the next city and see what that's like and renting another place and then having a home back here that's kind of what i'm looking for with this and and, and some time in between 55 and 60 would be fabulous if we could achieve that financial success for me and i'm going to put some numbers on this i don't think i've ever put numbers on this for you so um Financial success for me would be £5,000 per month every month, not just some months. So so I have done this maybe one or two months, but that's not enough for me. I want £5,000 per month at least, regular as clockwork every month. Well, that's £60,000 a year. Then I will feel successful because at that level, that's enough to get structural edit done, a copy edit done, a proofread done as many times as I need to, and to get the covers done and to have a marketing budget and to take income from it. So that's why 5,000 per month every month is what I'm after. And this feeds back into what I was saying to you about traction, that I don't want it. it's fits and starts at the moment. I'm only as good as my last book bub when my last book bub fades, I need another one or my income's gonna go down. That's where I am at the moment. I want to have that feeling that I can get 5,000 pounds, not dollars every month. Each month, that's what I want. And if you ask me, what does great financial success? You know, where would I be happy to to stop and say, Do you know what, that's great now? Well, you know, that would be ten thousand pounds per month every month, so one hundred and twenty thousand pounds a year. That would be wow! Look at what I could over a hundred thousand pounds a year. That would be incredible success to me. Now, I know you look at people like Mark Dorsey, you look at many other people. That's very we know real life normal people who've achieved that success and, and way beyond that success as it did the author. So I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable aspiration for me to have. I'm not there yet, I'm nowhere near there yet, but it does feel to me like something that I might achieve if I could improve my craft, um, you know, my marketing that we might get there. So success, when you're going to hear me stop moaning about the money I'm making, £5,000 per month every month, and when you're going to, see me sitting back in my chair with a satisfied look on my face, thinking, wow, I did that. £10,000 per month, every month. If I ever get to that stage, fantastic, amazing. So I've put some new numbers on there. Before I used to say to you, my targets were earn as much as my wife does every month. When well, I've done that consistently for a long time. I'd even forgotten I'd made that target, to be honest with you. So I'm upping my targets now, publicly. £5,000 per month, every month, regular. So it'd be more some months, but it, was, it would be at least £5,000 per month. And when I start getting in that zone, that's when I'm going to start being happy with what I'm earning from this. So you heard it here first. Let's see if we can achieve that. So um, author aspiration number seven. I want to leave this amazing body of work that I look back on with pride and some amazement about how the heck did I manage to do that and to a certain extent, when I'm looking at my books now and I open one up that I haven't looked at for some time, I think, well, you know, I can't even remember being there and writing that. It's, it seems amazing to me that I, I wrote that. And when I look at my body of work now, um, which is what, well, so 15 books edited and produced on my shelf, it feels amazing. And I know how I did it. I turned up, did the work 5,000 words a day for so many days. And that, that's how you get the work done. But I want to leave this amazing body of work. I want to leave something in the world, and and hopefully at some point when I have, to, maybe Arthur writer sets in at the age of hundred or whatever, and I I stop for whatever reason. I look back at it and think, well, you know, wow, look look what I produced in my lifetime. That's amazing. So that's number seven. Number eight. I quite like. I'm sure many of us share this, but my family and I exclude my wife from this because my wife is so good. She reads everything. I. I always say to her, look, you don't have to do this. I, I, you know, I know this is a, well, I think she does enjoy it. I'm very lucky. My wife is a very eclectic reader and she'll read anything, honestly. She'll read the cornflakes packet if that's all there is to read. Um, she, she will read anything. I've never known anybody like her. She's a voracious reader and always has been, which is very lucky for me. But I say to her, every book, I say, I'd really appreciate it if you could read this to me as I'm going along. Just tell me if it's right, if I'm, Striking the right note, whether I've got you engaged, are you hooked in it? And she doesn't; she's read all of them, and I'm very, very grateful for that. So I exclude my wife from this. But what I would like is for my family to read one of my books, like they might pick up any other and see no difference. So I keep getting comments like, "Oh, I can't read that scene because you wrote it." Like with the sex scene, in don't tell Meg. Oh, I had to stop reading because it was you writing a sex scene, and I think you know my sister read think she read the first lot of books, but hasn't read anything else. And you know that sort of feeling that um, people are like fed up now. You've you've written maybe too many, but it would be nice for the family to just pick up a book, read it, and it, it enjoy it as effortlessly as they might uh, just a regular author. So forget it's you, just read the blasted book and enjoy it. That would be really nice. So I say so I get immense support from my wife and she does. she goes above and beyond the call of duty because I always say to her, you don't have to do that. I know, but she just generally seems to enjoy it that goodness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can remember my mum, I, I sent her the paper bags of, of the secret bunker, just really, um, just to send them to her. Um, and I said, Do you, don't read her, mum, because she, you don't like science fiction and you won't enjoy the science fiction i remember we were in spain i remember sitting there starting to read these things i could tell she wasn't enjoying it and i said Mum, you don't like science fiction just because i wrote it you're not going to like it um you know that doesn't suddenly make you a science fiction fan where you weren't one and i could see her struggling and she gave up on it she found a jackie collins book in the house and i remember flying through it and and saying to her you know you shouldn't read stuff that you don't you don't enjoy um but with the thrillers for instance thrillers are much more easily accessible She, she reads thrillers but hasn't read my stuff. And it would just be quite nice for somebody in the family to say, oh, I read that. I really enjoyed it um, because I don't think anybody takes any interest in my stuff. So I'm sure we all, a lot of us share this um, experience with families. They're a bit funny about your writing. Um, they can't sort of detach you from the writing. Whereas if I put Fred blogs on it and stuck it on the shelf and they didn't know it was me, they'd probably just read it and say, oh, that's a good story. So yeah, f- families are funny things, aren't they? But it would be, would be nice for somebody to just sort of read it and just, enthuse about it that would be really nice Uh, number nine and I've already alluded to this I would like to appear on panels at festivals based on my success not my connections so I've been very lucky and I'm not moaning about this because because of my podcast and because of the connections I've made I've been very lucky I've got to sit on a stage is it three times for Amazon with some amazing authors you are very successful, but I've always felt like an imposter. I, I don't really want to do that anymore. I, I'm only there because I'm, I've connected and I happen to know people as a result of this podcast. I've always felt a fraud and thought, you know, I want to be on this stage because I've sold a zillion copies of my book. That's why I want to be on this stage. I want to be one of you successful authors and, um, you know, sharing, sharing from a basis of success rather than just being in the trenches trying to achieve that success. So that would be great to be invited to appear on panels at thriller festivals or sci-fi festivals just because you've written a great book and people love it, uh, not for any other reason. So that's one of my my aspirations. And because I needed 10 author aspirations here and because I think it's good to set some really unrealistic goals sometimes, I'm going to set as a goal to have Harlan Coben write a blurb for one of my thrillers. And the reason for that is I can trace back when I... When I really fell in love with psychological thrillers. And it was when I found Harlan Coburn's Tell No One. That was the book that did it for me. And that book distills everything I love about psychological thrillers. So I was working at the BBC at the time. I had no aspirations to write at all, but I remember seeing in the paper the cover for Tell No One. The cover was perfect for the genre. The title was brilliant. Tell No One. It's, I kind of copied it a bit with Don't Tell Meg, because I think it, it, it's got that air of mystery and that question inherent in it. So Tell No One, great title. And I just went out and bought it from WH Wiss. That was really rare for me. And I read it from cover to cover. I loved it. It was perfect. And I fell in love with psychological thrillers at that point. And psychological thrillers are the things that I love to read. I don't read, um, I'm not really interested in, what's his name? Jack Reacher. It doesn't, that, that stuff doesn't do it for me. I love psychological thrillers based on domestic premises. I can't get enough of it. I'm reading another one as I record this at the moment. And I love writing them as well. So Harlan Coben writes exactly the kinds of books that that inspire me to write. So did Linwood Barclay. But Harlan Coben got there first. So let's think big with this. I would love Harlan Coben to write a blurb saying, fabulous book full of twists and turns, wish I'd written it myself or something like that. You know, those blurbs that you get from authors. So I'm going to set that one up as a real big one. So those are my 10 author aspirations. And I think again, to summarize that, dare I say, I want external and financial validation. I guess if if you were psychoanalyzing that, I want that external validation. I want to have a film. I want to have a book in the shops. So I want to look at my book on the shelves it's that traditional thing and i want to say i did that i made that look at that i'm with all those other authors and that validates what i do i'm not just a self publisher trying my luck with my books and hoping they're okay i've got that external validation maybe i've got a tv series or somebody's bought the rights and i've got the income to match it so yeah if you cycle so analyzing it all I want external validation. (laughs) That's what I'm after. And I guess that's why uh, a lot of us do it. I'm not just happy writing, writing, writing for the sake of it. I want that external validation. I want a certain level of income to show that I'm doing well, to prove that I'm writing great books. And I would like to be, you know, I guess I'd like to be traditionally published or so successful as a self-publisher that people can't deny your success. So for instance, when you're at a Mark Dawson level, that's phenomenally successful um, you, you, can't, you can't touch that level of success. Mark sold the rights and they're, they're working his books into a story in Hollywood, wherever it is. You know, that's phenomenal success. So that's the kind of success that I don't have to have that, even that high level of success. But to get a whiff of that would be fantastic. But I guess really it does boil down to external validation. And I'm, I'm sure probably most of us would have to admit that, 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 i'm quite happy writing my stories i enjoy writing my stories but what i really want is somebody to say that's a blooming great story we all love this that's i guess that's what we all want so and i I certainly do i'm going to admit it in this podcast diary to you so there you go i hope that's um, fairly honest and frank for you my indie author positives negatives and aspirations and that's just to mark the fact that we've done 150 of these diaries now and I should probably go back and listen to some of those diaries to hear myself moaning about earning $10 a week and saying how I'd love to break a $1,000 a month, something like that, because I think that would probably um, make me feel a lot happier about where, where I am right now. But that's part of it, isn't it? It's the thing that keeps you going forward. It's the thing that makes you pick yourself up off the floor. If you've had a bad experience or a, a terrible review, it's that it's that seeking those aspirations and those positives. Those are the things that keep me going. I think in in, in the face of all, all the, I don't get a great lot of negativity to be honest with you. I, I haven't got a lot of one-star reviews. I haven't had a lot of terrible reviews. I've had more mediocre reviews than I've had terrible reviews. And and I, that if you want puts fuel in my tank, it's why I want to become, I want to move from being a three point something author to a four point something author. And, and, and that, that gap, that, that gap of one star that's the movement I want to make. That's what I need to make to get where I want to be. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that gave you some food for thought. That is it for this week's extended podcast diary. I'm going to have another extended diary for you next week with more bonus content. So you'll get the regular diary, as we always do every Saturday. Uh, but next week, you're going to get a, an interview. And I'm going to be chatting to Kinga Gentetics from Publish Drive about their publishing platform, which you know I'm a big fan of and what it could do for the authors. So um, the reason that this is running, not as a standalone interview, but alongside next week's podcast diary is because just the way the dates worked. um, I'm getting to interview Kinga this week. I don't want to hang on to it until June because... I'm sure the way that Publish Drive moves so fast, it'll be obsolete by June. They'll have put all these features in place. So uh, I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to record Kinga and I'll just add it to next week's podcast diary and you can have an extended episode because I want to get it out there um, sooner rather than later. So you're going to get an extended episode. You'll get the normal podcast diary and that interview with Kinga Genetics from Publish Drive. That's coming up next Saturday. I hope you have a fabulous week of writing, editing, whatever it is you're doing. I'll speak to you next Saturday. Bye bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.